I love my city. Now, I don't love it because it's perfect, because God knows that it is not perfect. But nevertheless, I love my city. I love my city not because it's easy to live here, because there are certainly other places in our country, other places in our community, in our state that are easier to live. I love my city, though. I love my city not not because we have the best weather, because y'all know we ain't got the best weather here. Come on, what are we talking about having four, five, six months or something? Like, but I love my city. I love my city, and it's not because of how well our streets are paved. Y'all know what I'm talking about. We get a little bit of snow, and next thing you know, we now got potholes that you could drive a car off into because our streets get paved with a millimeter of asphalt. But I love my city. Please hear me. I'm a Memphian. And I'm a Memphian because this is my home by birth, but also by choice. I love my city because this is the place that I've chosen to live my life. I've chosen to raise a family. I've chosen to, to be a part of the community. I love my city. But the most foundational reason I love my city, and please hear this, is because I'm a believer. It's because I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because the God of this universe loved me enough to give his life so that I could have life by faith in his name. And there's a calling on every single believer's life. And it's not the calling you would expect. I want to welcome you today, those of you joining at Church Online, watching on YouTube, uh, listening to the podcast. I want to welcome you to the first installment of a brand new series. Now, I don't know where you're listening to this from, joining us from. I know there are many people in the greater Memphis area that join us, but I also know there are people who listen in and lean in from, from other cities, from other states, sometimes even from other countries. And here's what I want you to know. Even though the title of this series is very specific to where we are, can I tell you, you can sub out one word and make it work for where you are. Today we're beginning a brand new series, a brand new collection of sermons that we are calling Till Memphis Looks Like Heaven. And over these many weeks, we are going to journey around this subject matter. We are going to circle around the realities of our faith, but also our city. And what I know right off the bat is for some of you, you could not be more excited. In fact, this is not the first time we've ever done a series. We've ever made a statement. We've ever preached a sermon about our city and about our love for it and God's love for it and what our involvement in it looks like. And for some of you, that is quite honestly the reason why you love believing you love this church so much. And for you, get ready. I need you to shout me down in the chat. I need you to, I need you to share this online. I need you to be about what we be about. And then there are some of you, you ain't ready. 
You ain't ready for where we going in these few weeks. You ain't ready for what I believe the Holy Spirit is going to speak to your heart as I speak to your ears. You ain't ready because this series, you need to understand whether you're a person of faith or not. This series, you need to understand whether you're someone who loves this city or you're someone who you'd rather not say anything because grandmama said if you can't say nothing nice, don't say nothing at all. Wherever you find yourself, this series, this word is for you. See, I say it's for everyone, and before I dive into the scriptures today, I'd like to make two statements that I'd love for you to write down today. So whether you're using... Uh, the notes available online on our website there, today's sermon notes, or you're just making some notes, I'd love for you to write this down. Please do this. Because what we foundationally and fundamentally believe is that if Memphians won't love Memphis, hear me, non-Memphians won't love Memphis. I know this sounds a little basic, but I am talking about love for our city. And I don't just mean it's... Uh, geographical location. I don't just mean the, the, the infrastructure and what we have and what we don't have. I don't just mean the restaurant or a store or a neighborhood or a, or a attraction or a tea. I don't just mean those things, but I mean those things. But I also mean the people and I also mean the culture and I also mean the fact that there are people Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people all throughout this region that God loves, he gave his life for. And we as Memphians ought to love Memphis. Otherwise, people who aren't Memphians are never going to love Memphis. You do understand this is our home. And if it's our home, we have to value it. Otherwise, nobody else ever will. Now, I understand that not every person watching, every person listening, even though you may be in the greater Memphis area, you may not live in Memphis proper. You're like, you're like yeah, yeah, yeah. I just tell people I'm from Memphis when I'm outside of Memphis. But if I'm in Memphis, I tell them I live in fill in the blank. I live in Germantown. I live in Colgerville. I live in Millington. I live in Eads. I live in Mumford. I live in Atoka. I live in Bartlett. I live in DeSoto County. I live in West Memphis, wherever you may live. Please understand, and let me just go ahead and begin to rub you the wrong way, some of you. I'm going to go ahead and start right now. Ain't no reason to wait. The only reason your little community exists, your little suburb, your little neighborhood, little city, little town, big town, however you want to see it, is because of Memphis. And so this is all of our home. Some folk live in the backyard. That's okay. Some folk be you know, posted up in the front yard. Some people live upstairs. Some folk live in the basement. Like, you figure out whatever that means. But the reason all of us are here is because of what was first, what is the largest, what is the most significant, where many people, regardless of where you live, work, where many people, regardless of where you may live, what community you may, where you drive through, where you shop, where you are able to... Uh, a benefit off of the resource that, that is there. It is our job as Memphians, as greater Memphians, if you will, to love Memphis. Otherwise, people who are not Memphians won't be able to love Memphis. It is a disgrace and a shame if the people who love Memphis the most are people who fly in once a year for Elvis week. It is a disgrace and a shame if people who talk best about our city are... Uh, 
sports commentators who speak well of our city on a broadcast when our teams are doing well. It is a shame if that is the highlight of commendation for the place that is our home. If Memphians won't love Memphis, non-Memphians won't love Memphis. But may I take it a step further and go ahead and write this down too. If Christian Memphians won't love Memphis, non-Christian Memphians won't love Jesus. I know that's a bold statement, but I need you to hear me today. There are hundreds of thousands of people in and around our city who do not believe Jesus. They have their own faith practice. They're agnostic and really just don't really subscribe to church and faith in God and all of this. There's someone who was brought up in the church. They were brought up, but now here they are as an adult leading their family and they have no time, no space, no significance, maybe a little bit of a memory and a little bit of a reverence, but the church doesn't affect their life. And there are hundreds of thousands of people in our city and around who one of their greatest problems with the church is that they see in the South, as people like to say, a church building on every corner. And yet you've got a church building on every corner, but you've got neighborhoods falling apart. You've got a church building on every corner, yet our city is notoriously known for its high crime, for its high poverty rate. We have tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of families in our city who are starving but working, who are struggling and can't seem to get out of where they are. And there are people who do not know Jesus, who live in this city, and their primary problem with the church, their primary problem with the Jesus, we would love for them to know are Christian Memphians who won't love their city enough to do something about it. So my full intention, please understand, is to bother you in this series. I do want to bother you. If you've been to our church a time or two, you've listened to me speak, I'm not one of those who just want to make you feel good. I want to encourage you. I hope you laugh, and I'm going to build up your faith. But I'm also someone who, in my heart of hearts, believes that a great sermon is to be a divine disruptor. And I'm going to shake something in you in this series because I'm talking about the streets you drive on and I'm talking about the neighborhood you live in and I'm talking about how you speak and how you think and how you operate and what you do and what you won't do. And so I'm going to go there. You say, where? Everywhere. You don't like people to address racism and classism and ageism and sexism that still runs rampant within the confines of the calculations within our city? Buckle up. If you don't believe that we're still trying to erase the long, dried ink that redlining did to pull down parts of our city while building up other parts of our city, you better buckle up. If you don't believe that our city is still mourning the loss of hundreds 
of congregations that at one time occupied space within the limits, within the confines of our city. But because of safety and because of opportunity and oh, they called it, we are called to reach the people that are out there. They left the city to go to somewhere that looked safer. They left the city to go to somewhere they called a great opportunity while leaving behind people that they chose not to serve to find a different type of person to serve. And that it still breaks the hearts. It's still hard to understand the implications still run far and wide. You don't want to hear somebody talk about what's true, talk about what's real, talk about what's really happening. To talk about the grossness that I read just this week in one of our local paper publications. I literally vomited on my cell phone. Not really, but I about did. Reading a story written where churches that are still in the city were literally talking about crime prevention that they might have to do or are doing and in, in using it almost as this threat that if something doesn't change, they're going to move out east or move to the north or move to the south. And when I'm reading this, I literally wanted to throw up. What are the people of God even doing? What is the church of God even saying? I want the Holy Spirit to disrupt you in this series. I want the Holy Spirit to disrupt me in this series. So we'll do whatever we got to do till Memphis looks like heaven. And so before we get into practically what this means and practically what we're going to be about and practically what it is we should do, I think it would be wise, helpful, and good, and most important to build a theology of why we should even care for where we are. Because some of you start to hear caring for where you are and you put it in into and through a political filter. Or some of you here care for where you are and you process it through this frame of reference that speaks to, oh, they're just really, you know, they're just really passionate. They got a lot of friends. Or it's because he was born here. That's like, no, 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 no. There is theology that undergirds all of this. So let's take a moment and build some theology. And then I want to give us a, a practical foundational application to what it is I'm saying today before we really, really go in in the following weeks. The book of Genesis is where our Bible begins. The book of Genesis begins with, wait for it, chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, listen to these words the writer pens. It says, the Lord God took the man, Adam, and placed him in the Garden of Eden. Why did you put him there? To work it and watch over it. This is Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 1 and the first few verses of Genesis chapter 2 give us the creation accounts. So literally it's in the beginning, God created. Bum, 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 bum. Immediately after that is what we have dove into here. It's God's interaction and God's deployment and God's call to man. 
It is in Genesis chapter 3 that sin enters the world. When man is tempted by the serpent, or the serpent, excuse me, and believes what the serpent says more than they believe the truth of God. Humanity fell and sin entered the world, and we've been dealing with the consequences ever since. But this is Genesis chapter 2. Please understand what I mean. Before sin stained the world, God put man in the world to work in the world. I mean, that ought to be enough from a theological perspective. I'm going to give you much more. But everything was perfect. God took Adam, who he had created, and put him in Eden. And he put him in Eden, and he said, I want you to work this place, and I want you to watch over this place. Sin came later. But Adam is given an assignment, and every morning in his nakedness, wakes up and carries out his assignment because he is naked and not ashamed, but yet he has some work to do. See, what I need you to understand is that working for the good of wherever you are is part of God's plan for humanity from the beginning. But that's when God and his people were in perfection. Everything was perfect then. Okay, let's keep building. The book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verses 4 and 5, and then verse 7, read this way. This is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, says to all of the exiles. I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Verse 7, seek the welfare of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it has prosperity, you will prosper. This is a couple of thousand years after Adam's in the garden. And God's people have turned their back on him. And as they've turned their back on him, he has allowed them to be carried into exile. They are now living in a foreign land, in a place they did not choose to be, in a place that does not believe in, honor, worship the God that they worship. God's people are in exile and they're in exile. They're in a foreign land. They're in a place that was not their home. God says care for this land. He tells them to seek the welfare of it, to do good. In other words, to do good things in the city and for the city, for those in the city, to help it be better, to seek the welfare of it. He tells them to pray for it. He tells them to ask God to bless it and watch out for it and take care of it and do good work there. He tells them build, plant, eat, marry, increase, care, pray, do all of this there. Not once you get to your perfect place. Not, 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 once, not once you become an owner, no longer in exile. He says even there in Babylon, even there in the place that you are exiled to, I want you to care for it well. Now, Some of you, you're saying, well, that's Old Testament preacher. And we're not under the law, we're under grace. <laughs> The book of Luke from the New Testament, one of the Gospels, in chapter 19, verse 41, offers us these words. It says, as Jesus, our Lord and Savior, Jesus, who's recorded about it in the New Testament, as Jesus approached and saw Jerusalem, a city, he wept 
over it. In the New Testament, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the recorded stories of the life, teaching, ministry, death, resurrection of Jesus. There are two recorded instances of Jesus crying. One's recorded in John chapter 11 when Jesus cries over the death of one of his friends. Not a disciple, not somebody that worked in the ministry. A friend dies and Jesus cries. The other recorded instance is right here in Luke chapter 19. And Jesus cries when overlooking a city. He overlooks a city and feels something for the city, for the people of the city, so much that it moves our Savior to tears. If a city mattered so much to Jesus that it brought him to tears, shouldn't the realities and plights and dynamics and dysfunctions of our cities maybe bring us to tears from time to time too? Most of us would rather just cry over our own personal loss, our own personal problems. My life isn't what I wanted it to be. Okay. How about crying over the realities in the city that God has called you to? Because then from a broken heart, we go and do in the city and for the city because of Jesus. And maybe it even looks like Peter admonishes in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. And with this, we will close building our theology and turn this very practically and personally. But Peter offers these words in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 2 of 1 Peter. He says, dear friends, I urge you as strangers. That's what you are. That's what I am. Temporary residents. We ain't here forever. This world is not my home. That don't mean I ain't supposed to love it. That don't mean I ain't supposed to build here. That don't mean I ain't supposed to care here. It's just not where I'm going to be forever. To abstain from fleshly desires that war against you. He tells us to conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that in a case where they speak against you as those who do what is evil, they will, watch this, by observing your good works, glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter is saying that the people of God are to live in such a way that people that don't know God give glory to God because of what they see the people of God doing. Listen to me, friend. That can't happen if all that we do, if all that we're about, if all that comes out of our mouth, if all that comes out of our pockets, if all that comes out of our actions is to tear down the place that we're at, is to neglect the place that we are at, is to speak and to operate with disdain towards the place that God has put us in right now. This happens, though, when you live in this world. When you live in this city and when you build and you bless and you serve and you care and you fight for and you cry for, even if it doesn't benefit you directly. I want to welcome you today to your calling because, friend, that's what this is for all of us who have faith in Jesus. I believe this extends further and wider and really should apply to any of us that call this city, call any place home. But specifically to those of you who call yourself a Christian, who Jesus has saved you, who you've put your faith in his grace 
to save you. Please understand, caring for your city isn't your charity. It's your calling. This isn't just something that, oh, I'm feeling extra generous, so let me do a little something. No, this is literally what God has called you to do. Jesus himself prays, Father, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Where? On earth. As it is in heaven. Right here. As it is in heaven. So if this is the heart of God, and it's his calling to us, why are things the way that they are? Why is there a negative tenor and conversation in general about our city? Well, can I tell you, it's because on one account, it's that way for every city. Now, I know some of you, maybe the only place you've ever lived is Memphis in the greater Memphis area, and that's fine, I get it. But can I tell you, even though you're... 250 miles away, and sometimes people act like Nashville is the holy city. <laughs> people that live in Nashville complain about Nashville. I lived in Dallas for a bunch of years. It's where I went to seminary, and Dallas is a world-class city. It's unbelievable. Companies from all over the country are choosing to relocate there because of the size and the infrastructure, because of the quality of life, but also because of the, the ease that it is to get to the East Coast and to get to the West Coast. It's so centrally located. You're a two-hour flight from, from L.A. You're a little over two-hour flight from New York. I mean, you are, you are in the middle, so you can handle whatever it is you need to handle. I lived in Dallas and people poo pooed on Dallas. I was like, why? What? This is this city. We got great rent. Why are y'all being like this? Several years ago, my family, uh, we went on a little trip and we went to San Diego, California. I don't know if you've ever been to San Diego. Uh, uh, there is Southern California, but um, they say of San Diego that people will visit there like me and my family did. And, and because of the weather because of the lifestyle, because of just what you see. Like people will literally like quit their jobs and not go back home and just figure out how to stay there and live. It really is one of those places that you're like, am I really still like in America? Am I really still like on this planet? Like the trees look different, the weather feels different. They don't know nothing about no humidity. And while I was, uh, while I was there, I got to play a good bit of golf. And so there'd be some time where, you know, my wife and son were, uh, hanging out at a pool or whatever, and I go play golf. And uh, several of the times when I played, I played with, with locals there. And it was wild to me. Every single local person I played with poo pooed on San Diego. And I'm like, what are y'all talking about? We, it was kind of in the springtime. It was either like late March or April, but it was just, it was beautiful weather. And I mean, like, like, and the, and the tacos are great. And the city was, and I was just like, what are you talking about? But they're just like, you don't even know. San Diego is this, and San Diego is that. And I'm like, your poopoo went on San Diego. What are we talking about? Part of the reason it is like it is in the minds and hearts of a lot of people is because this is just what people do to cities. They poop on it. But there's also a faith perspective that I need to bring your attention to. See, part of the reason it is like it is, particularly within the church and particularly within 
people who would call themselves Christians, is hear me, is that too many people who would call themselves Christians are too focused on their salvation and not focused enough on their assignment. Very, very concerned about getting to heaven when they die. Very, very concerned about being saved, staying saved, and not concerned enough about the mission and the prayer and the heart of our God who said, Father, we pray, disciples, when you pray, pray like this, his kingdom come here now. What's happened is we've made the reward the mission and thereby released ourselves from the real mission. Heaven is your reward, those of you with faith in Jesus. Heaven is the reward to every person who would put their faith on his grace to save you from your sin. But once you have received by grace through faith salvation that you could not earn, you could not work for. He says, I got work for you to do and you were to be about bringing the kingdom of God here now. Because I don't know about you, but I want to go to heaven. I want to be with Jesus. And I want to so badly that I want to be about his work here now because that's what he said mattered to him. He said, if you want to follow me, be like this. Love your neighbor. Build, care, share. Like show people that I have really changed your life. It's like the Apostle Paul communicates to the church at Philippi that he's writing to. And he says, listen, I want to go be with Jesus because my life is hard. Man, I'm tired of being thrown in jail and I'm tired of being shipwrecked and I'm tired of being lied about and I'm tired of starving and I'm tired of feeling threatened for my life every single day. But it's better for you that I stay here. So I'm going to stay here as long as God will grace me because here I can serve you and here I can write to you and here I can pray for you and here I can encourage you. What if our city believed that about us? Even if they didn't believe in our Jesus. What if our city said of its churches? What if our city said of our church? I don't believe in the God that they worship. But man, I don't ever want them to leave. Because our community is better. Our city is better because of their blessing. Because those people give. Because those people serve. Because those people care for me. See, the mission of everyone who would believe and follow Jesus is to bring heaven here. Since we in Memphis, we got to bring heaven to Memphis. See, we are to care. That's where it starts. To care until Memphis looks like heaven. And so today what I want to do very practically for a few moments as we begin this journey, and we're going to get there in future weeks, but I really just want to help you to understand what it means to care. How does one care well? What might it look like for the people of God to actually be about their heavenly father's business? What might it look like for us to take seriously the first sentence out of Jesus's mouth in his model prayer? What, 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 might it, what might it be for us in the way that we live, in the way that we talk, in the way that we operate to actually be people who care about where we are, not just 
disdain where we are because our hope is for heaven. Well, care happens through a few mechanisms, and I'd love for you to write these down today. Care happens, please write this down, through closeness. Part of how you care is through closeness. We care most and best for those people and places that we are close to. Can I tell you, that's why for me and for my family, we have always lived in this city and always will. When God burdened our heart to start believing, to create a Jesus-loving church that was in the city, of the city, and for the city, a church that would exist so that all people are transformed in Christ, the first thing we did was sell our house where we were living and move into the city. And we have lived in the city since before our church started. And we will always live in this city. See, I, uh, I shop for groceries in the city. The, the Kroger on Summer Avenue, that's, that's the grocery store that we primarily and my family go to because it is literally kind of almost like right in between where the church is located and where our house is. So, so we, we shop at the Summer Kroger and that's our, that's our grocery store. Man, when I get takeout, I get, I get takeout in the city. Man, I call Los Camales and <laughs> it's funny. They start finishing my order for me because I, I call and they sort of recognize my voice. Here's that white dude that wants three carnitas tacos, put a pico on there, everything on it is good. Like, they know. Man, when I call Crumpies in Midtown, they know. I get takeout here. I buy my gas here. <laughs> Shout out to the Grizzly Mart on Summer Avenue. Oh, it's great. Man, they keep it clean. They keep it nice. I think it's got the cheapest gas in general that you will find in around here. But I get my gas in the city. I wash my car in the city. Shout out to Take Five. Like, like I, I buy my toothpaste. Like here in the city. Like we are living in the city, trying to bless the city, trying to whatever we have to buy to build up the business. Like here in the city. But please don't think I'm some Pollyanna don't understand the real issues. Baby, I understand the real issues. Because I'm a pastor, but I'm also a parent. And as a parent, since before we even started the church, we have had to think about and navigate the education of my son, which is a complex reality in our city. We have a challenging school system. We have thousands of hardworking educators on the district level, in the schools. But we have issues, and it's tough. And there are schools your kid can go to, and they're probably going to get a better education. And schools your kid might go to, and they may not get as good of an education. There are some teachers, and it's complicated. And we don't have the resources nor the desire to insulate our child by throwing him into some private institution. And so we have to navigate that as parents. I get it. I get it. My car has been broken into too. 
Feels like about half the cars in our city have been broken into. Me too. Pour one out for the Macy's at Oak Court Mall, you know, like like I, a year and a half ago, and I was parked there trying to run in and pick up something, and I, I ran in and ran out, and somebody had broken into the back of my Jeep, and uh, they thought they were running away with some sneakers, but they actually took my favorite pair of golf shoes, you know? Like, like come on, man! And I get it. Our city's got problems. Every night that I drive home, <laughs> I drive past prostitutes. I watch drug deals transpire, sometimes in front of me while I'm trying to pick up tacos from a taco truck. Like, I'm not ignorant or sheltered or oblivious to the reality, but I'm close to it. So I get it. And I pray for the problems I see. And I choose to celebrate the good that I see. And God grants us grace and opportunities because there are people who don't know my name but know that I'm a pastor. Or they don't know I'm a pastor but they know I'm a Christian. And there are times where I'll just walk into random places and people will ask me to pray for them or ask if I could tell them about the next time that we're, we're, we're giving away for Christmas or giving away with groceries or, or can we help somebody with this? And, and, and it's only because we're close. You see, it's easy to forget when you're far, but it's impossible to ignore when you're close. There are people that I love. I love, oh man, if, they, if I were to see them this week, I would, I would hug them and love to see them and sit down, let's get coffee, let's get something to eat. Let's talk. I want to catch up, I want to laugh because I love them. But I don't ever talk to them because they moved <laughs> or I moved <laughs> and, and they don't call and I don't call because I forget because they're not close. Friends, we can do that in our own communities by running from problems instead of running toward them. By running from the narrative instead of trying to change the narrative. Care happens through closeness. That's why we got to get close. Somebody in that chat just needs to type, get close, get close, get close. Because care happens through closeness. And care happens, write this down, through action. Care happens through action. To say you care, do not miss me. And not demonstrate care is not care. I don't care whether that's an organization that says they care and they don't do jack diddly squats <laughs> or an individual who says they care. But if you look deep inside their calendar or their checkbook, you won't find any reflection of any care going on in there. And I don't even need to preach this. My brother James has already preached this. Book of James chapter 2 puts it so eloquently and powerfully. I want to read it to you and extrapolate from there. He says this in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can his faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and eat well, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is that? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. You better put that in your theological pipe and smoke it and see what comes out. I ain't got time to get to that, but maybe another day we will. But if someone will say, you have faith and I have works, 
Show me your faith without works. And I'll show you my faith from my works. But James ain't playing, y'all. And this is James, the brother of Jesus. He, he was the most important, most significant figure in the early church. While we know Peter and we know Paul because of their traveling and their preaching and their publicity and their exploits, James was the godfather. James was the one that if you really got a problem in Acts 15, whatever James says, that's what we're going to roll with. James says, you say you have faith because you say you have faith. I'm going to let you decide whether or not I have faith by what I do. Please hear me in what this means for you. If your concern for our city leads you to just pray for our city, that ain't Christian. I believe in the power of prayer. It's one of the reasons our church values a time in the middle of every week on Wednesday nights to pray together. I believe in personal prayer. I believe in corporate prayer. I believe in the power of prayer. You should come pray with us at midweek prayer. Listen, prayer is significant. But could we, for once, maybe stop it collectively as the thoughts and prayers group? Because a lot of times, in fact, my, my own personal opinion is about 90% of the time that we tell somebody uh, uh, who's in a difficult spot, praying for you, we could do something. Praying for you. This is what James says. I see you there starving. Praying for you. When you could buy them lunch. Praying for you over there. Ain't got nothing to sleep on. Got to sleep on the floor. Praying for you, but I could run to Walmart and spend $47 and get you an air mattress at least so that way you could be up off the floor and not be having to lay on the cold, hard floor. Praying for you. It sounds so spiritual, and it matters. But to just stop there, according to James, in many other places, but according to James, ain't Christian. I think a lot of times we just say we want to pray because it's easier. It's cheaper. It ain't as messy. If we in our community say we love and don't show up to serve, but say we just going to pray, we're full of it. We're full of it. If your concern for our city leads you to just pray, that ain't Christian. Here another one, write this down. If your concern for our city leads you to just work, that ain't Christian either. See, you ain't got to love Jesus to do some of the stuff that we do. You ain't got to love Jesus to serve people groceries. Now, the reason we serve people groceries is because we love Jesus. The reason that we are trying to provide quality, affordable housing for single moms through Yellow House is because we love Jesus. The reason we're working to beautify our neighborhood and to build it up, the reason we are stopping bad actors and working to, working to champion good things is because we love Jesus. But a lot of the work we do, you ain't got to love Jesus. Like, oh, that's really nice. They serving the kids at Christmas. That's really, really nice that they do this every month. That's really, really nice they do this every day. Man, that's wonderful. But if all we do is work and we don't pray, man, we've missed it. 
You know, we have a lot of time in our church that we spend on these streets, walking and serving and cleaning up yards and fixing things and repairing and doing all this kind of work. And I know for me, one of the things I love to do with that is to pray while I work. Because the work ain't enough. If God doesn't do what only God can do, baby, I can, I can turn your neighborhood into a better neighborhood. But unless you know the reason why we cared enough to turn your neighborhood into a better neighborhood, we have failed. Because we've done civic work, but not kingdom work. You got to work and you got to pray. Because care happens through closeness and it happens through action. And it happens through, write this down, responsibility. Care happens through responsibility. And this is the problem. The problem for many isn't that they don't want to help. The problem is they don't want the responsibility. It's not that they don't want to do something. I just don't want to be on the hook for it all the time. It's not that I don't want to show up when it works for me. It's that I just don't want to have to be about it all the time. See, the issue is you're not caring if you're not responsible. You're just responding when it's convenient. I'm all for the holiday generosity that goes on in our city. I think it's great. I think it's great from Thanksgiving until, you know, a week and a half before Christmas, all the work that people will do to, um, you know, spread love. And, and it's great. It's great. All for it. But people are hungry in February too, yo. And there, there, there are needs in our schools in April, just like there are in the back to school season. Just, uh, there are families with issues that don't just pop up in the holiday season. But for a lot of us, it's convenient in the holiday season. It's inconvenient in the middle of my summer vacation. It's inconvenient. It's, 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 it's incon I, didn't, I didn't create time for, this is football season. Well, you want me to serve on a Saturday? Bless the Lord and roll tide or whatever you subscribe to. Go Tigers, go. Come on. Uh, like, like, A lot of us are very, very willing to help in some way, and we think we're caring, and we are on a level. But real care takes responsibility. See, the question is, will you take responsibility for a problem that you could avoid? Will you take responsibility for a problem that you could avoid? See, a lot of times we call it responsibility when people simply do what it is they should do. It's weird to me. People, people will compliment me on my care of my things. If you ever see me and my Jeep, there's a good chance it will always be clean. You know why? Because I'm maniacal about it. I wash my car all the time. I vacuum the inside all the time. If you ever get in my car or see my car and it's a wreck, pray for me. <laughs> there's something wrong in my life. Something is broken. <laughs> see if you can bring me dinner or something. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like there is something seriously wrong. And people say, oh, your car is so clean. It's like, that's my car. That's my responsibility. What are we talking about? I take care of my grass. My, 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 my yard always looks good. And that's because it's my yard. And sometimes people will thank me walking their little pet making sure they poop in the neighbor's yard, not my yard, you know, but they walk in their little pen and say, thank you for taking such good care of your yard. I'm like, what a weird compliment. It's my yard. But what our city needs, what God is looking for, 
is people who will care enough to take responsibility of, of some things that don't affect them. I'm talking about caring when you don't have to care. I'm talking about taking on stress and taking on weight and taking on work, even though you would be fine if you didn't do any of this, but they wouldn't. You know, when we increased a couple of years ago, Christmas Palooza, it took it from being something where we served a few hundred kids to serving as we have the last two years in excess of 2,000 kids per year. When we went from collecting several hundred toys to needing to collect four and five and six thousand toys. The game changed. The work became very, very different. In our church invests, we connect with sponsors who, who invest. We have people who will even anonymously just give and say, man, I believe in this. This is wonderful work. And we raise a lot of funds. Here's the truth. Neither year have we raised enough. The first year we made this jump, we would not have been able to do it on the scale that we had set out to do it if it wasn't for a text message sent to me at the 11th hour to have a meeting with somebody in a parking lot. I thank God for meetings in parking lots, you know what I'm saying? But if it wasn't for that and what came through that, we would not have been able to serve. And I was stressed, yo. This was Christmas. I should have been trying to figure out what, what holiday plaid shirt I was going to wear, you know, to really ring in the season. How to make the perfect hot chocolate. Do you go marshmallows, whipped cream, or both? Which one are we doing? Like, to try, that should have been my focus, right? But we've taken on this responsibility that we don't have to. But somebody needs us to. Same thing this last year, except I didn't get the text message. My wife got a text message. And she gets a text message and, and, and able to serve because God always provides. He always comes through. He always shows up, particularly in places where people are willing to take on responsibility that makes their lives inconvenient, but is a blessing to others for his honor and his glory. But at some point, if you're going to be about bringing heaven here, this thing's going to have to get personal to you. Where their problem becomes your problem. That, that the work that's needed becomes your work and you about this. This my neighborhood. This ain't just some neighborhood I drive through, go to church. This is my neighborhood. It's got to be personal. Because care happens through responsibility. And finally, and I'm done. Care happens through everyone. Happens through closeness. And it happens through action. And it happens through responsibility. And it happens through everyone. We can see his kingdom come here in Memphis. But it will take all of us. You, you know what I'm set out to do? Part of I feel the calling on my life, the calling on our church is to change the narrative of this city. When my final breath is drawn, my prayer is that this city and the narrative of it is different. And it won't be different because we vote the right people into office or don't vote the wrong people into office. That can help, 
That ain't it. What will change the narrative is when his kingdom comes here. When his will gets done here. And you know what? It's already happening in this community. What God has done through us in this community in less than four years, with a year and a half of that navigating a pandemic, has changed the conversation, the narrative, and the reality around our neighborhood. It ain't perfect. We got problems. We out here working. We trying to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars to create quality, affordable housing for single moms right now. We working. We, we trying to serve even more people with groceries. We're trying to be a blessing to even more ways tangibly in our neighborhood. We are trying to increase and serve even more people through worship experiences. We're trying to teach through classes, connect people through groups. We are trying to do more and more and more here, but it's happening. And I'm not the only one this season. I meet with people in our city regularly for a variety of reasons. And they always want to bring up to me, whether it's a formal meeting or I bump into them in the corner store, and they're like, man, it's amazing what's going on in Berkeley. How different the community looks. And they don't mean different like a bunch of people moved out, a bunch of people moved in. They mean there's a care, there's a pride, there's growth, there's things happening. It's because of you. It's because of us. And we are just getting started. In the upcoming weeks, I pray you'll come back and lean in because I want to share with you ways that believing is going to be expanding, serving more, and doing more right here in the neighborhood. I'm going to share practical things that we're doing that are on our docket, that are in our plans in these upcoming month, weeks and months. But today I want to close. And I want to talk to Christians for just a second. If you're listening, you're watching, and you're not a person of faith, you're welcome to end the podcast now. Or you can lean in. I'm not asking you to leave. But I want to talk directly to those people who have a faith in Jesus. You call yourself a Christian. We have work to do. It's the prayer of our Savior. kingdom of God to come, the will of God to be done here as it is in heaven. And so we need you. If you call yourself a person of faith, if you're a Christian, we need you. We need you coming. Online, in person, we need you coming. There is so much to be done and it starts simply with you coming. We need you bringing. We need you bringing your friends, bringing your neighbors, bringing your relatives, bringing your bringing people you bump into at the store because you like we need you bringing. Let's let's fill God's house in such a way that like the seams burst on it. We need you bringing. We we need you serving in the church or as the church. We're going to talk about ways that as the church, we're going to be serving more and more and more, reaching out, caring, and doing more and more and more. And it's not meant to be that those who already serve, serve more. It's meant to be that there's so many of us who right now even aren't serving. It's time to step in. It's time to roll up our sleeves. It's time to be about that work. 
We need you. We need you giving. Some of the things I'm going to talk about cost more. Not so that we can have fancier lights. <laughs> and not so that we can have an easier life. But so that more hungry people can be fed. So that more forgotten streets can be remembered. So that more people that never get to do anything fun can, can have mornings of blessing. Can have times with their family that become the highlight of that season for them. We need you giving. We need you hustling. <laughs> hustling. That's why if you pick up some of our march, that's one of the words on there. It's hustling because that's what we're doing. We need you praying. That's one of the words on there too because we don't do this by our own strength, or our own resources, or in our own power, but we do this by the Spirit of God. We need you believing until Memphis looks like heaven. Father, I thank you today for every person under the sound of my voice. I pray that today we would take on your heart for our community. We would take on your perspective for our city. And we would be about your business here and now. That we would work and give and pray and sacrifice and build and invite and bring and love and repair and work and speak life until our city looks like heaven. And so God give us the strength, the tenacity, the resources, and the vision to follow you as you lead us till our city looks like you want it to. We pray all this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.